the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Why don't you smash that subscribe, smash that like, come jump in the chat. We love uh, having these conversations. This is a listener-powered episode we're going to tackle some questions from the big old bag of mail before we get out of here. If you want to add your question to the big old bag of mail, then what you can do is leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your mailbag question. We'll flag it. We'll throw it in the bag and we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode. Uh, before we get out of here, our favorite quarterback to talk about, a mailbag question on Stetson Bennett and sort of an alternate universe Alabama-Texas scenario. But we begin with some of the, the biggest news since we last joined you. And after we got off Monday's show in the Monday afternoon press conference, the, the news came down. I, I knew that Tyler, um, I knew that Tyler Buckner was going to be hurt, was going to be a little bit banged up. But Marcus Freeman uh, comes out and it turns out that Buckner is expected to miss four months with a shoulder injury. That means that Tyler Buckner, uh, the highly touted recruit for Notre Dame, who had assumed the QB1 role for Notre Dame, is now going to be out Drew Pine in for the remainder of the season as the Fighting Irish starting quarterback. This is a Notre Dame offense that even with Buckner really lacks some explosiveness. We talked about the injury to Avery Davis and what that meant at the beginning of the year. So, as we look at this injury and we try to play things out for Notre Dame moving forward, a team that started number five in the AP poll, I'll just start here. Do you think Notre Dame makes a bowl in 2022? I need to pull up their schedule just to be sure on this, but I, it, I think it's certainly in play that they do not, as I type their schedule, right? So, so I can just go ahead and give you three right now. Do you think they're beating USC? Do you think they're beating Clemson? Do you think they're beating BYU? Because we've already got two losses on the schedule, and that gets them to five. But don't give them the hard ones. Give them the easy ones. Because I think they yeah. do have some games, including this weekend, where they hopefully should get back on schedule. 
Syracuse is an interesting one where Syracuse looks better after their 2 0 start and Garrett Trader's crushing at quarterback, but I would still favor them. Uh, still would take Notre Dame to win that one. Stanford's still a winnable game. UNLV's winnable. Navy's winnable. BC is ne- uh, winnable at home. So I, I think it, I think six and six, though, is probably where you're at, like just sitting here right now. But I would still say there's enough talent on this team to squeeze out maybe a surprising win against one of those teams where you're like, hey, it's a loss. I, I think they will beat Cal because Cal's offense is truly dreadful in, in a way that Notre Dame's is not. Uh, Stanford could be tougher. Like Stanford actually played with USC on a down-to-down basis. They just were terrible in the red zone and committed, I think, another four turnovers. Uh, Navy is pretty bad this year, actually. Um, UNLV, I don't think, can play enough defense. And Boston College, unfortunately, because they did lose all five offensive linemen from last year's team, that with Matthews, uh, you know, blowing his knee playing pickup basketball, I guess. And then they also lost Trapio. I don't know when he's coming back. Their remaining best offensive lineman. I, I, I would heavily favor the Irish in that game. It's kind of clear to me right now. Like, like I think they are are clear dogs at North Carolina, at BYU, hosting Clemson, and going uh, to USC. At Syracuse is probably the coin flip, and I have them as significant favorites in one two three, four other games. So they have how many wins so far? Zero. Zero. I don't think you're going to make a bowl, guys. Mm. And that like that North Carolina game, which is coming up next weekend, not this week, but the in week four, that is probably going to be one of the key ones. That in Syracuse was the way that I had uh, broken it down as well. And, it, as, and just looking at that specifically, it's like Notre Dame has enough talent on the defensive line and really on the defense in general that if Notre Dame can play a game in its comfort zone. I think Notre Dame can win. But the question is, what happens if a North Carolina, if a Syracuse, which is now led by Garrett Schrader in this really fun uh, Robert and I-led offense, what happens if you get down in a 14 nothing hole? I just don't think that Notre Dame right now has enough answers that they're going to be able to climb out of that hole. And so it's the toughest position to be in from Marcus for Marcus Freeman as a coach for the whole coaching staff you know Tommy Reese was coming out this week he, he dropped a frickin out there I, d- I didn't know that we were even dropping frickins at press conferences at Notre Dame but new era I guess you know he they are taking all the responsibility but this is their challenge to try and find ways to piece together wins which to me looks like it's got to be a lot of ball control a lot of low scoring wins and that is some white knuckle situation if you're a Notre Dame fan when we're talking about towing this very thin margin to even make a bowl. Just a, a wild time right now. So I, I covered a guy who had a tremendous recruiting class going on over the summer before he actually had to coach his first season at a school. And, and he had a good track record at prior schools. And then I remember watching that camp and they had some offensive linemen go down in Tallahassee. And I remember thinking they are screwed. And people don't know it yet, but like, Maybe they can coach around this. Maybe they can't. But like, there's a good chance that they just cannot block, right? And it, that's the way it played out. And Willie Taggart's recruiting class fell apart, and it really just sucked the wind out of the sails of, of that regime. Now, there were other mistakes he made in Tallahassee, and I understand why they got rid of him, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But like, this could happen. You you, you could really see Notre Dame uh, miss a bowl here and have its recruiting crater, right? Like that, That's how thin these margins are at times. You have to carry over that offseason hype into the season somewhat. And I think they would like I think if it managed to go seven and five, I think they would they would dunk this recruiting class pretty hard. But if you miss a bowl, 
and you don't have a track record as a head coach to fall back on, you could see this this recruiting thing take a pretty big hit as well. Because guys, Pine looked bad in that game. He he was not good at all. Uh, negative one point six adjusted net yards per attempt. What? Yeah, so you take off 45 yards for every pick you throw, right? So he was three of six for 20 yards, which is bad on its own, and one of those misses uh, was a pick. So, But are, are we sure – like we're talking about this as Notre Dame 0-2. Like Buckner, it's not like you lost a Heisman Trophy candidate. Like, right. That's why I, that's where I kind of look at them. Like they had to have known their deficiencies at quarterback or at least inexperience at quarterback where – that's where I still think I, I'm very curious to see how the season unfolds. I totally get what you're saying, bud, but I still think there's also a chance they go to Chapel Hill and UNC lays an egg. When I mean, we've seen that happen before, when UNC starts off massive hype, gets in the top five, and they ironically lost to a Florida State team that wasn't that good that year. Like you could see a scenario like that unfolding. So I still think six and six, seven and five is reachable, but a lot of it does. I know talking to Brady, you know, in, in our in our uh, pick show that we've done, you know, talking to him in between breaks about what he thought with Buckner when he was named the starter. He kind of like Drew Pine a little bit better. Now yeah. he's got a relationship with him. Um, so he, he was a little bit, and he admitted that. He's like, but I said, I think there's a spark when he goes in there. So let's see what Pine does with a full week of practice now that he's the guy. Maybe the teammates like I mean, you just never know what's gonna happen here. But I I would say all of this is not dependent on the quarterback. Like it because it hasn't been the quarterback hasn't been the only issue. So I think we're having this conversation no matter what. All right, so let's play a quick game here if we can. And this yeah. is not not on the schedule, not on the script. Cal, I don't think I don't think it really fits this because you probably only need twenty points to beat Cal, maybe seventeen. Right. Their offense is bad. Like UNLV's defense is not good, and they they made Cal look like nothing. How many points do you need to win in Chapel Hill? Thirty. Like, yeah, at least. Yeah. I think it starts good. with a three. I Although think. they held Notre Dame, or excuse me, Notre Dame held Ohio State to what twenty one. That's true. Yeah, so I mean, maybe it is doable. Maybe they do shut down. You know, we thought Ohio State was going to be the greatest offense in the country. And North Carolina has been off to a fantastic start, but maybe they're able to keep them in check and hold them to only 21-24. How many offensive touchdowns do you need? <laughs> like, can, can you? Because, Danny, you make a great point. Like, there is a scenario where we look at that September 24th game and – uh, we've seen North Carolina's offense do it like three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. They never get into a rhythm. They can't sustain drives. And then if you can play ball control on the other side, because we know you can push North Carolina's defense around. I mean, there is, I think you need 30. I think it, whether they're offensive, defensive or special teams, I think you got to get to 28 or 30 to be able to win in Chapel Hill. All right. How about at BYU? No, that's a that's neutral. Home. Oh, Vegas. That's right. Vegas. Oh, it's Vegas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Catholics and Mormons in Vegas. Everybody 27, 28. We're about to find out a lot about more about BYU this weekend. I mean, that was, that was a game they probably, I don't know, should have, could have, like, should have lost to Baylor. A couple missed field goals. That game was a little fluky. But we'll find out a lot more about them this weekend. Is there a dog against, who is the uh, Pac-12 Oregon. team they play? Oregon. Uh, Oregon this weekend. Um, we'll find out. Like, if they get beat by Oregon, all of a sudden the, per, the perception of that game changes for, because I think Oregon's offense is, not that spectacular either. Let's see if Oregon can get things figured out. You know, the the interesting thing is that Notre Dame is going to have to face BYU almost certainly with Romney and Puka back. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a very different uh, BYU team than, than the BYU team that, that Baylor got to play or than the BYU team that Oregon might have to play. All right, hosting Stanford. How you many need, points do you need? Like, how many points if I say, if you're a Notre Dame fan, 
you're Notre Dame's coaching staff. If I say, hey, if I give you 28, you taking it? I'll give you 24, you taking it? Yeah, okay. I think so. I mean, I, th- I think that that, um, yeah. Again, against Tanner McKee and the Stanford offense that we so- we've seen so far, I think that Notre Dame's defense is strong enough to be able to cause some problems and limit the Cardinal so that 28 can win. Okay. I can buy that. I, maybe this team will make a bowl. I, I'm not downgrading them a ton with Drew Pine because I don't think Buckner was that good. I just I didn't see anything out of him in the spring game that made me think, yeah, this, they, they got something here at quarterback. Uh, it was really more of belief in the parts around him, and those parts are still, for the most part, the same. They lost a receiver, which the, uh, the infamous – Apple podcast reviewer told us it uh, didn't matter and uh, we should do some research. But <laughs> uh, I still believe in the parts on this team. I don't believe in the coaching staff yet because they really haven't given me any reason to believe in them. And I don't believe in the quarterbacks yet. Um, I I like where we're at there. So let's let's just go ahead and get there. We, we with BYU Oregon. There was a, sort of a theme that was developing it last night in the group chat as we were talking about it. Some of the biggest matchups of this week are teams that you simply cannot trust, that we do not have a good read on. There, there's either uh, fluky games, like you mentioned, Danny, or you know, in Miami's case, you you did it against Bethune Cookman and, and Southern Miss. Like we we don't even know what to make of it. So there's a there's a couple games that all fall into uh, what what I have labeled a sketch week. Like you you this is the sketchiest teams. These are just sketchiest matchups. You would not trust these teams at this point in the season with anything. So start with BYU Oregon, where, as you mentioned, Oregon slight favorite at home in Eugene. What are the things, the pieces of that BYU Oregon matchup that you think you are hoping to learn or that you think you might know uh, as we start to break it down? Danny, you want to lead on this one? Sure. Uh, just in general, because there are some of these lines that are a little bit, you know, like I, I think a novice would come in and say, oh, how is Oregon a favorite in this game? Um, there's the other game of Washington as a favorite against Michigan State. I think I think the Pac-12, and I might have mentioned this on here, was so beat down from COVID. I mean, it was a lost year. Washington only played four games that year. And I – and. You know, talking to some of these coaches about how hard it was to lift weights in a weight room in groups, like they couldn't even spot each other in some circumstance. Like, how are you supposed to get stronger if you can't have somebody, you can't max, you can't push yourself to the brink? And then that's only in the weight room. Like, think about what they lost on the field and development. That's why I do think some of these Pac-12 teams, it's they're having a resurgence of sorts, having more success this year, getting some non-conference wins. The Washington State's able to go to Wisconsin. But in this game specifically, I want to see what version of Bo Nix are we going to get. Like I, the the Georgia game was the least surprising thing that I think any of us saw. Right? Was Bo Nix playing against an SEC team? Like we knew we would get that. It was going to be ugly. But I think all of us this offseason, at least I did, thought you know what, Bo Nix, he's played pretty well against lesser opponents throughout his career and at home, especially where I think you know he's playing at home this week. I think you should see this Oregon offense start to find its rhythm start to execute a little bit better against a team that I think they can beat so that that's probably the biggest question for me is what is does Bo Nix settle into this offense and start executing and put up points the way he did against an FCS program I don't think it's gonna be that type of performance but is he gonna be the the what is he a Jag plus you think Bo like, Nix yeah he's a pack Jag- 12 <laughs> In the Pac-12, he's a, yeah, he's a Pac-12 Jag Plus, yes. but he's a he's an SEC Jag. 
Jag is just a guy for those who yes. are new to the program. Yes. I don't know how much of the audience stayed up to watch the Baylor BYU game. Um, but in the second half, Baylor really was trying to run the ball and did pretty well uh, doing so uh, against that BYU front. And, and look, Baylor, uh, Alex does a great job there coaching their offensive line, and they really push people around. And that's that's one of the best offensive lines in the country. But they were starting to wear BYU down at the end. I am going to be focusing on is this Oregon offensive line actually as good as the Oregon media hypes it out to be, right? They have a lot of highly recruited kids. They do develop them there seemingly pretty well, or at least they did under Cristobal. I'm curious, like, this is a back-to-back really physical matchup for BYU. How does that defensive line hold up? It Does Oregon push them around from the start like Baylor was beginning to do at the end of that game? And if BYU is able to shut it down, do they have anything in the passing game? I, I don't really know. Uh, also, that Oregon's tackling in the opening game uh, was, was, was really was bad. Yeah. And my thought was Oregon's secondary is is not up to par, uh, just entering the season. And I didn't realize they were going to be that bad at tackling. Like a coverage, okay, I, I figured they would have some issues. Can BYU exploit that? Is is If Puka's back, uh, I, I think this is a really exciting game to watch and one that I'm definitely going to stay up to check. I, I assume it's a night game, right, given where it's being played? I haven't looked at the schedule yet. Uh, 3.30 um, on Fox. Oh, okay. That, that'll be an interesting game. I mean, I'll be watching the, the CBS game uh, as well. But, man, I'm uh, I'm excited to watch this one. I, I think it's going to be – there's just a lot we can learn about these teams, You know, even though we've, we've seen BYU twice already. Listen, Duck Territory's got some passionate fans, and they're going to be coming for my throat right now. But I think it's Oregon's defense that has been overrated coming into the year. I think that they've got great talent – individually, but I think that what they have put on the field, even going back to last season, has not been special. I think it's been fine, but when you've got those kind of four-star, five-star prospects, uh, and especially when you add in you know, Dan Lanning with all the success that he had defensively at Georgia, there was an expectation that this was going to be one of the Pac-12's best defensive units I, I just don't think I'm there yet. Like, If anything, I'm looking at this game and I'm wondering who's going to get stops. Right. Like if yeah. BYU is a little bit banged up and if they can get pushed around, I, I think that there's going to be a whole lot of points scored in this game because the way that BYU has maintained um, execution, even with the absence of top passer of top pass catchers, I think it's incredibly impressive for Jaron Hall uh, and sort of that whole offense in general that they've been able to still put this together. So look, they, what was it going into overtime? It was maybe what twenty to twenty. Like it wasn't a high scoring game in Baylor BYU, and like you mentioned, bunch of missed field goals. But I I do think that BYU's offense with Hall leading the way has been very impressive through two weeks. And if I am right about Oregon's offense being Oregon's defense being a just fine middle of the pack group, then BYU is going to be able to score here. And I'm. I think that that's the thing that I'm really excited to find out. It's going to be another data point to see whether or not I am right or wrong on the idea that this defense with future NFL players on it is just a fine power five group. So really your question then is the Oregon front seven. Cause I think we would all agree that the Oregon secondary was a known commodity being poor ish entering the season. Like, like liability. Yeah. Everybody out there was worried about it. So if they're not living up, living up to expectations, it's because the front is not as good as, as we hoped it would be. Yeah. And kind of 
just dovetailing off the conversation we just had about Notre Dame's coach, great recruiter, comes in. It, if they lose this game, Washington State road game, going to Pullman the next game, like it could be a bumpy start for Oregon too. Now, I definitely think their schedule lightens up after that. It's not as tough as Notre Dame's. But this is a coach who was brought in there, young, enthusiastic recruiter, and he was phenomenal when he had all that talent at Georgia. But now what does he do with this talent that he has at Oregon? You know, if it's a bumpy start, you just wonder what impact it has uh, for the Ducks. I am I'm going to go ahead and already um, warn or encourage our Saturday night listeners that the the conclusion of perhaps one of the sketchiest of sketch week matchups is going to happen probably while we're on the air as Miami and Texas A&M are set for a 9 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. And I, I don't think that we owe it to the viewers to wait until like 12.30, 1 a.m. Like, whoop, we, we will be going as that, as that game is, uh, is rocking and rolling, maybe even carry you all the way to the finish of it with some live commentary. But Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher has gotten some of the tough questions this week about play calling, about who's got responsibility, about if you've ever thought about opening anything up. Miami, as I mentioned, has nothing that you can really take and feel like you understand exactly what Miami is this year. Like, do do you think that Texas A&M's defense is going to cause problems for Tyler Van Dyke in the Miami offense? I think it could. Yeah, I I went back and watched the uh, the, the, the Miami game against Southern Miss, and, and I. You know, man, there's some things I saw that I liked, and there's some things that I saw which which concerned me. I, I think Miami's defensive front is pretty good, but let, let's let's talk Miami's offense for a second. Since that's what Chip asked about. They're not in sync right now. I got to tell you, like we, I remember, we Chip, we were sitting there at AC Media Day, and we were looking at at the the spreadsheets. I'm like, who is going to catch passes for this team? Oh, Restrepo or Bus? They ain't got anybody else. Yeah. and look, Restrepo is a good three. He's a nice get open if you get him on a backer safety number three slot type guy. If Restrepo is your one, this is not a good offense. Okay. That, that they, they have some, I'm not saying issues, but they have some uncertainties right now at the receiver position. Now, I know they were high on Jacoby George in the offseason and he was suspended for the first two games. So I think there is some chance that Miami's offense looks better in this one because Jacoby George is back. Now, I don't know how much he'll play, but. I, I don't want to just discount the idea of him coming back, making this thing look better. But right now, Van Dyke does not look in sync with his receivers. And it won't show up in the completion percentage because he was 20 of 29 for 240. It's 69%, right, with 241 yards and a touchdown and a pick. But if you watch this, it didn't look smooth. He was a count late getting rid of the ball. And I'm not sure if that is, hey, he's still learning this new offense and it's not like you have to read defenses to the same level running what Lashley runs, right? I mean, they, that that's like receivers outside the numbers, some of those old Baylor concepts incorporated with it. It's it's a – Denny can tell you. Like, it's a very different defense or offense than what Miami is trying to run right now. It also could be because he doesn't trust these receivers yet, right? Like, he, he needs to see that they're going to be open as opposed to trusting that they're going to be open. Right now, they're not really in sync like the numbers would suggest. They, they had to run a flea flicker to score on Southern Miss in that third quarter, right? Like, they didn't hit a lot of explosive plays. They were under six yards of play against the Golden Eagles. I mean, I, I think Liberty, despite having their starting quarterback get knocked out, was over that in the prior game. So 
I'm not really seeing it with Miami's offense just yet. Their run game was very poor. Uh, I mean, they were – take out the sacks here. Uh, Sack-adjusted rushing yards, 211, but on 42 carries. Like, that's that's not great. They also allowed four sacks to, to the Golden Eagles and eight tackles for loss, more pressures than that. Now, they did have some offensive linemen out. We'll see if those guys get back. I think Zion Nelson likely comes back this weekend. Uh, so – I could see Miami's offense looking better than I think it's going to look, but I will tell you they are not looking as good as the surface numbers suggest they are playing right now. I'm very curious to see if their offensive line holds up against Texas A&M's defensive line. I mean, that's the neutralizer of any offense. If you can get pressure on a quarterback, they didn't get to chase Bryce very much. Texas A&M didn't, but they hurried him a bunch. They did get some hits on him, and that'll impact you just as much as the sacks will, if not more. That, to me, I think is the bigger challenge that that you're going to face for the Hurricanes. I mean, that's always the difference, you know, is the, the offensive and defensive line play. And I think, you know, as much as we can write off Texas A&M, very curious to what – they do still have some weapons, man. I tell you what, Smith and A-Chain have been doing a fantastic job. I mean, they're like the one, they're the only highlights you've seen from Texas A&M's offense. But I think even with Jimbo's, you know, ancient philosophy, you know, he's played against this school a lot. You know, he's he knows he can maybe try to lean on him and use some of that physical edge that he's tried to build SEC teams when he's at Florida State. He's got one now that he's built up. He's going to try to move the ball just the same way he always has. You know, and I think this is going to be an environment where it's going to be hostile. It's going to be loud. Your edge pass rushers have an advantage against their tackles. I think that was going to be interesting. Has Jimbo said anything? I mean, I know he was pretty vague. Are we going? Are we just, we're just rolling out Haynes King again. Just here we go. He basically said, like, they'll run the guy out that gives him the best option to win. You mentioned right. he's faced this team. Danny, he's actually faced this defensive coordinator a number of times. So Kevin Steele mm-hmm. was the D.C. at Clemson yep. for three years, 2009 to, tw- to 2011, when Jimbo was the O.C. at FSU, right? He, I'm sure he faced him in the 80s when, when Jimbo was at Auburn and Kevin was at Tennessee. Uh, he definitely faced him again in uh, – was it 2016 to 2020? A&M Auburn, yeah, yeah, at Auburn, right? I mean, like, like, so he's faced Kevin Steele seven, eight times now mm-hmm. as a DC versus versus OC matchup. So that's that is. Uh, I I lean Steele. He had some success I, against him when he was a forward. I, I mean, now he had yeah. Dalvin Cook and he had other weapon. He I mean, I, I I think if we're going like X's and O's matchup, it's I think a Miami fan is looks at the familiarity and is like, oh, good. Like, they'll, Miami should know exactly what to do. I, I, I think so. I mean, and just the other thing, I can't discount A&M playing a lot better in this game because I, I've, I've covered Jimbo when I was just on, on a single team beat. And I've seen him, not seen him, I've seen his teams play like they didn't care about a matchup and didn't take it seriously and like they were looking forward to the next matchup too much. 2011 Virginia comes to mind. This game, just watching it unfold, reminded me, an awful lot of that. 2012 NC State. So they're going to get some guys back. Bryce Foster, their, their center, who's an NFL prospect at AM, has been out with Mono. And if he's back, that is a major difference because they were having issues on the offensive line. I mean, as well as they just, you know, they're trying I mean, to run something that you can't really run right to now. Your with point, their players. You were seeing Texas AM defenders getting stiff armed into the ground. And yeah. like, App State does have a, a great mentality for physicality, but look, that's that was that was like effort. It's still App State. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. what I'm saying. Like when Texas A&M is having those kinds of performances, effort and focus have to 100% be 
um, at the at the top of mind. But I will say that all the negativity, like again, can't leave sketch week analysis without talking about vibes. I would be worried that this Miami team might come out a little too hot early, right? How many to like penalties, false start, yep. you know, you like things start to mount up. You get a roughing the passer that extends a drive when you thought you had a third down stop. If you avoid that and it's tight late, that's when I think the pressure switches to Texas A&M because those Texas A&M fans, all hundred and whatever thousand of them, if it's like 20 to 17, the offense hasn't been good and Miami's still got a shot, at that point I would say edge Miami because the that I mean Danny maybe you can speak to this from experiencing it on the field but I I know I've been in stadiums where there is a home field disadvantage mm-hmm. where just all of the dread like you can feel it do you know who they fall on the most and I've been in this position as a quarterback who's struggling you know and you're you know you're trying to earn the confidence of your teammates but that's probably easier than it is of the fans because they're the quickest ones to start that murmur there is nothing more uncomfortable than that that little buzz, maybe it's not even booze. It's just, just no. like a, you know, like it's just an unsettling feeling. I had that when I was at Florida State. I threw three picks in the Orange Bowl my first year starting in 94 and got benched in that game. And it was a, what are we going to do? And, you know, the next game you come back and you can just sense it. You can feel it. And for me, it wasn't a game in College Station on the road. It was a beatable opponent. You know, we were able to kind of get back on track. Haynes King is going to feel that pressure Mount unless you know if he goes out there and he if it's if it's 2017 and he's got two touchdown passes I think that alleviates some of it but if it's 2017 and there's a kickoff return and you know a pick six and a couple field goals and they haven't been great on third down all day that's when those murmurs really get uncomfortable I early in my career whether in the NFL or college I almost liked going on the road because you're you're supposed to get booed uh, at on the road. Like, yeah, everybody hates me. Like, let's bring it on at home. When you're like, do they hate me? That is the worst place to be as a quarterback. Um, all right, one more uh, on Sketch Week that we wanted to highlight. It is, as you mentioned, the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. Penn State traveling to Auburn and Auburn found itself in a, a very difficult situation, but was able to wiggle its way out. Uh, Penn State, we didn't give much analysis to uh, the a, a very lopsided victory against Ohio, though certainly there was... You were thankful to win as a Penn State fan in the opener against Purdue, but you couldn't feel all that great about you know the way the defense looked, about the way that uh, the offensive line wasn't able to establish, and you got the highs and lows of Sean Clifford, I mean, this is TJ Finley against Sean Clifford. Can't trust either one of these quarterbacks. What do you think ends up deciding this uh, this this big time Big Ten SEC showdown? Can Auburn move the ball at all? I mean, they, they had six point two yards of play against San Jose State. You may not think Penn State's defense is a top ten defense, but uh, I don't think San Jose State is going for six point two on Penn State's defense in Happy Valley. I I think Auburn's offense is terrible. So I'm really curious if they are not the worst offense in the SEC, not named Vanderbilt. And honestly, like on a good day, Vanderbilt's offense looks better. Give me Mike Wright over TJ Finley. Let's go. I don't think Mike Wright's the best quarterback on Vanderbilt. I think Swan is better. Okay. But the decisions Mike Wright makes with the ball to me are not a winning 
like he's not a winning player long term if he takes care of the ball like that. But what can Auburn find a way to make this game ugly, low scoring, and close? Maybe running a lot of that Robbie Ashford pseudo wildcat stuff. Their passing game is just horrendous, man. I mean, they are against San Jose State, 14 of 23 for 168. I've been saying this is the worst receiving core in the SEC, other than Bandy, for the entire offseason. I don't think that they made good moves in the transfer portal in terms of who they brought in at receiver compared to who they lost. And I, they brought in Calzada to win that job, to take that job. And I was told he just flat out lost it. Like he didn't, like he just played poorly, which honestly, I thought he was bad at AM for the most part. So, Maybe Finley plays plays like crazy, but this has probably got to be Auburn making Sean Clifford look bad. But I'm going to bet on Sean Clifford, who's a sixth year guy in a hostile <laughs> environment, over TJ Finley playing anywhere. So what I, if you sat back and you're like, "Whoa, you're betting on Sean Clifford on the road against a defense with a pulse"? He's okay. played in tougher places before, done okay at Ohio State. At Michigan, at Michigan Purdue, State. Purdue, he came through big, but it was ugly, which is why yeah. you know, I think there's got to be a temptation for James Franklin to make that move to Drew Lahr, the backup, who played pretty well at a couple touchdown passes late in that game and mop-up duty. But if you're Sean Clifford, you really staved off that temptation with that final drive that he had on the road, hostile environment, like you were talking about. I mean, that was a hostile environment. He was in Big Ten Conference game. This one will probably be louder. Um but to your question, like, can Auburn muck up this game? Absolutely they can. I mean, these are two teams that are experts at doing that. So yeah. I think they could absolutely be in a game that's, you know, 17 to 13 late in the fourth, and it's been sloppy. There's been a lot of three and outs, a lot of punts, some fumbles, you know, some turnovers. I think this game could be gross. How many points wins this game? Oh, if anybody gets to 28 if you still told Penn State like offense, we give you 28. They're like, hey, we're just gonna we're gonna sit it back here in Happy Valley. Defense, go ahead, have fun. Yeah. I, I they would take 28 all day. I think I will more- say I think Penn State's corners are pretty damn good. Like the emergence of John Dixon, them getting him right. John Dixon was a guy that we all knew in, in the South Florida seven on seven circuit had real ability if he could focus consistently. Like that guy could be a dude, and he was very good against Purdue. I think Penn State has the ability to play man coverage and just completely shut down Auburn's receivers and, that's and, what, and put, eight, put eight in the box against Tank Bigsby. Yeah, I, and that's where you just hope and pray that you don't get a shot play. You know, you trust yeah. your corners. Hey, don't get a penalty. Like, make them hit the shot play. Make them hit the 50-yard post that's against man. See if they can do it. Dare them. And if you're, you're Auburn, you're just hoping to hit one or two of those, and that's your majority of your offense. Because I do think – more so than ever in a lot of these games that we're talking about featured a sloppy this is like the sketch week it's perfect yeah. for it sketch because you had a sloppy ugly performance against a lesser opponent and i think maybe even more so than ever where there's so much coverage and anticipation and we talk about preseason matchups and we've had this game circled so is auburn you know they've had this game circled for a while so san jose state comes to town and you're trying to harp on them hey we better make sure we beat these guys first and players are like yeah whatever coach we're ready we'll be ready and then you go out there and you got your hands full because it was san jose's san jose state's super bowl like and you see that happen with miami as well the week before like i am more of an excuser of sloppy performances and you just hope that you get away with a win like a win is still a win i mean go talk to notre dame see how they feel about Losing to Marshall at home. That was the ultimate like hangover game. Like, oh, 
We got to go back out there this week. Like it's hard to get these players amped up week in and week out. That's where I do think you find out a lot about these teams when you know there is no question about the motivation. 3.30 p.m. Eastern time from Jordan-Hare Stadium. It will be Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson, and Jenny Dell on the call. You can watch it on CBS, cbssports.com, or stream it on Paramount+. Plus. Coming up on the other side, how many Power 5 teams would trade their starter for Stetson Bennett right now? Or maybe the better question, how many wouldn't? That and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Listen, Peloton is not just a bike, and it's not just a treadmill. It is a community. It is a team of instructors that is ready to motivate you 24-7. Peloton has thousands of on-demand and live classes ranging from cycling and strength training to yoga and running. This is your opportunity to experiment with all new types of movement, and it's all in a totally non-judgmental space at a level and a pace that feels good for you. And because it's available 24-7, you know, you can fit it into your super busy life. It doesn't matter if you've got five minutes or an hour, whether you're an early riser or a fan of that evening burn, there's always a Peloton class that fits into your day. You know, maybe you're looking for that 10-minute upper body stretch between calls or a 30-minute run before bed. Peloton is where you'll find what works for you on your schedule wherever you happen to be. Danny, I know that you know, you've been traveling. You had to go all, all the way out to Albuquerque and back. You know, things are starting to pick up. You've got all the CBS Sports Network duty. That how are you, what are you liking right now? How are you working it into your schedule? So when I'm home, I got the Peloton in the garage. One of the cool things about Peloton, you get the app on the road. So I'll fire it up, fire up the app. And my guy, Daniel, I've been doing Daniel, little Irish guy, like just looks like a leprechaun. He's got the thickest uh, Irish accent you could ever imagine. But he gives these total body workouts. You can get 20 minutes. You can get everything you need in 20 minutes. Bang it out. Uh, that, I've been trying to use it to key. You know, my wife keeps me on a strict diet. That and the Peloton, either the, the, uh, the, the bike or the app keeps me tight. Yeah, the bike, the app, on the road, at home, so many opportunities. The music is absolutely iconic. And again, just so many trainers, so many different options. It's motivation that moves you anytime, anywhere. And you can try the Peloton Bike or Tread risk-free for 30 days. Learn more, go to OnePeloton.com. That's O-N-E for one, Peloton, P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. New members apply. 
New members only. Terms apply. That is onepeloton.com to try the Peloton bike or tread risk-free for 30 days. It's motivation that moves you anytime, anywhere. A reminder as we dive into the big old bag of mail that if you would like to add a question to a future mailbag episode, uh, the best way to do that is to leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your mailbag question. This one comes from Dham, and the subject is, I can't believe I'm asking this. Dham asks, seriously, this is a serious question. Hard to imagine the answer if this was asked 12 months ago, but here we are. How many Power 5 programs would Stetson Bennett start for today? I really am being serious, seriously. I've been thinking about this a lot because this question is almost certainly directed at me. Um, so, so far on the year, if you use PFF stats, Stetson Bennett has one big-time throw compared to two turnover-worthy worthy plays. That's a bad ratio. His average depth of target is one of the lowest in the country, meaning he's throwing everything within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Todd Munkin is doing a tremendous job at scheming guys open. They give a lot of time with their run fakes and offensive line, and he executes Georgia's offense perfectly it's also not an offense like i'm not really sure how well this skill set translates to other offenses last year he was one of the worst downfield throwers in the country right so i'm going to go through this list that i made and just give you yes no maybes and let's let's just count the yeses all right boston college no i'd rather have Jakovic. clemson ah. yes you'd rather have okay really behind that offensive line you're gonna put and, and those receivers you're gonna put stetson bennett back there and ask like in, I, in, I, I'll what he does maybe. is in no way effective at Boston College. Maybe. All right. Clemson, yes. Anybody who is reasonably competent at quarterback, I think Clemson would take right now. Duke, I think probably Duke would take Stetson Bennett, but yes. Riley Leonard's played great. Yes. Florida State would not take him behind that offensive line, and Jordan Travis been balling out. I think Georgia Tech would take him over Jeff Sims. Yes. Louisville would not take him over Malik Cunningham. Correct. Miami would not take him over Tyler Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. North Carolina would definitely not take him over Drake May. NC State's a no. I think Pitts a yes. I really haven't seen much out of Slovis. Agreed. Right? So that's two so far or three? Duke, Georgia three. Tech, Pitt. Yep. Cuse would not take him over Schrader. Virginia would not take him over Armstrong. Mm. Vatek would take him. No. What? All right. We'll save that for locks. Can I, I Can I ask you something? On all of these that you said they would take him over, does it change anything for those programs? Does it make a massive difference? I think it could with Clemson because yes, you get a guy Clemson who's, who's consistently one. delivering the ball. But Clemson also has one of the highest drop rates through two games in the country, so they're going to need got like they're going to need the receivers to catch the ball if Stetson Bennett goes over there. Virginia Tech, yeah, for sure. Is a yes, for sure. Wake yes. Forest is a no. Notre Correct. Dame's a yes. You know, Notre Dame would be a perfect school for yes. him to go right now. Like they yeah, would the- say, sign me up, get us in here. I mean, with, if you had you know free agency or trades where you could actually do it, which one day maybe we get, they absolutely would be calling and saying, "Hey, give us Stetson Bennett all day." And by long. the way, you started in the ACC where some of the best quarterbacks are. Yes. So, like, oh yeah, this yeah. this list grows quite a bit. Yeah. All right, Illinois, I think it's a yes. Yes. Indiana's a yes. I don't think Basilac's very good. Correct. Iowa's a yes, so that's eight. Iowa. Better be. Better be. They might have Chip come out there and play quarterback if they could. Maryland's a no. Uh, Michigan is a no. Michigan State, I think, is kind of a push. Like, if you want to argue, you can. Thorne's been okay. I mean, maybe. Minnesota, I think he's better than Tanner, but really, I'm not really high on Tanner. But it's hard to separate 
because they had what's his name as their OC there in Minnesota, and he's just absolutely terrible. I mean, JT Stroud was five of twenty-one for Colorado this weekend. Like that, that guy's offenses, Sanford, are garbage. So, I, I think I would rather have Stetson Bennett, but it's hard for me to judge just how good, you know, Minnesota actually, like how good their quarterback actually is because they've only played two games with a new OC. I think you'd rather. Well, it's the new old OC, is Sharaka back, but it's yeah. Sharaka without Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. Exactly mm-hmm. right. All right, Nebraska. No, I think Casey Thompson's a better player. Uh, Northwestern, yes. Ohio State, obviously not. Penn State, I would say no. Purdue, no. O'Connell's good. Rutgers would take him for sure. I think Wisconsin would take him for sure. A hundred percent. I put them in that Notre Dame category. Like if you get it's instant upgrade, exactly what we need for our system. Give us somebody who can stretch the field on play action pass and not make the dumb mistakes. Baylor, I'm going to say no. You guys will probably say yes. They, there's like a lot of coaches I know that that wanted Gary Bohannon thought Shapin was a stud. So I had seven from the Big Ten based yes, on what where you just did it. Okay. Yeah. So it's seven from the Big Ten, five from the ACC, right? If we yes. count Notre Dame. All right. Big Twelve. I say no on Baylor. I think yes on Iowa State. So the, if the question, if we're going to be truly to the wording of the question, would this team take that? If they were going to take Shapin over Bohannon, then the staff likes Shapin enough that they wouldn't take Correct. Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Baylor also does not have the players to where, like, if you can just be super accurate within five yards and not make mistakes, uh, that's going to win games. So you take Bennett over right Deckers? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I take Bennett over Daniels at Kansas, but I will say Daniels in the last five games has played his butt off. Yeah. Like, he's like eight yards per attempt the, the last uh, the last five games. Um, Kansas State, I think, honestly, this is crazy. But I'm with, with you. what Kansas State does on offense. Say it. Do not, yeah. Like their passing game is terrible, but Martinez is definitely a better runner than Setson Bennett is. So I don't think Kansas State would take Bennett. Oklahoma State's a yes. no, given how, how. Oh, really? They're averaging 11 it. yards a play or 11 yards per attempt. Spencer Sanders is balling. All right. I'm being he unfair. Has, okay. okay that's he has something going on there right now. TCU is an interesting one because I don't think they would take him over Morris, but now Morris is hurt. However, I will say, uh, what's his name? The other TCU QB is uh, is leading oh. the nation in yards per attempt. Dugan? So no, yeah. no, no. no. The, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Dugan's oh, number one in yards in yards per attempt right now. But I don't really trust Dugan because he couldn't beat out Morris. So I think I'm going to give I'm going to give TCU Bennett. Texas Tech. If the starters in. That's an offense that wants to chuck it 50 times a game. Do you want Stetson Bennett throwing it for you 50 times a game? No, I think Tyler Shuck and Donovan Smith are both better fits for what Texas Tech wants to do. I agree. Um, Oklahoma's a no, obviously. Cincinnati's not – okay, the rest of these four are not actually in in, in the the Power Five yet. All right, Arizona? Yes. I think I agree because Delora does a lot of really, really questionable stuff, but – yeah, I, I think so. Emory Jones. Um, Emory. Oh, yeah. I think I think he's better than Emory Jones for sure. All right, Cal. I don't know, man. Like Cal is just so bad at everything they do on offense. It, like, how do you tell? Yes, I just can't wait. <laughs> I to think get so. To Oregon. UCLA's a no. Um, Colorado is a definite yes, but again, I think if I think Bennett would be absolutely terrible in Colorado's offense. I mean, probably so would like Bryce Young. Oh, did we hit uh, West Virginia, by the way? Uh, no, but he oh, would West not start Virginia? over Jake Daniels there, okay. given what they need him to do. 
And how, just how how Daniels has looked so far this year. He, looks he did beat out JT Daniels, though. He did. But they do something different. Like right, right, right. the situation he's in in Georgia is really unique. Uh, all right, Oregon. I'm, I'm I curious so. to see where you go. I, I I think I would take I would take Stetson Bennett over Bo Nix because it's not like you're asking him to throw the ball real deep, right? And, and you know what I'm saying? Like like they ideally Oregon's going to operate kind of like Georgia does: big offensive line, run the ball, some play action stuff, move the pocket. Stetson Bennett's got a lot of great his his mental repertoire is untainted, you know. Bo Nix has got some some demons. He's got some some scary memories in there. I think I think when like it's a, let's let's take Stetson Bennett, let's put him on the golf course, go dogs golf. But like when he pulls the driver back, there's no fear. You know, Stetson mm-hmm. Bennett, he's gonna yeah. he's gonna square up that club head. I don't know if I can trust Bo Nix with that. I agree. I I think Stetson Bennett would start at Oregon. Um Oregon State, I think it's a yes. I know their kids played really well this year, but the guys they were going after in the transfer portal tell me they don't really trust him that much. Chance Nolan? Yeah. Okay. So that'd be six. Right. USC's a no. Stanford's a no. Utah's a no. Washington, I think, is a no, given how much they actually want to throw the ball and Penix is balling for them. And Washington State is definitely a no with Cam Ward. All right. All so right. now we're to the SEC. SEC. Here we go. This is the fun one. <laughs> All right. Bama, no. Arkansas, no. Auburn, yes. Florida, I would say no. I don't think so. Like, think about it. With those receivers, and it's not like that offensive line is mauling people. What are you doing with Stetson Bennett at Florida? Throwing to guys who aren't open in five yards, who aren't going to make you people miss after the catch? They got to ride with Richardson, I, I, I think. Uh, George is obviously a yes. Yeah. Kentucky, Kentucky's an interesting one, but I think you have to say no because Levis is that offense right now because their offensive line is terrible and they can't run the ball. LSU. Yes. I think so too, actually, because I don't really believe in Jaden Daniels that much. I think he's probably a yes, but it might be close. He has a lot of mobility that people don't realize. Like Ben is actually pretty athletic. His legs are better than his arm. Ole Miss. Very interesting one. Yes. He does. Do you think he fits in that system? I don't. Uh, it's a question. It's an interesting one. I, I don't know. That, that's a really good one. Uh, do you think he would beat out both Dart and Altmaier? They're more gifted. He's got the experience, but I think you would want the upside arm talent playing in that system. This is one that I had marked as, as like a true toss-up. Yeah. A lot of these I had opinions on. This one I think you can argue either way for sure. Well, Ole Miss hasn't even settled its own quarterback battle. Right. You yeah. know, like they, they've got – we've gotten so, some Jackson Dart. We've gotten some Luke Altmeyer. They're going to be playing at Georgia Tech, and Lane Kiffin won't announce a starter. So, I don't know. I mean, the, to me – and I, I have not done – I'm trying to be better about admitting these things, so at least there's some – let the listeners know where, where the flaws might be. I have not done my Ole Miss super deep dive yet. I have not broken down the tape and yeah. watched every single minute. Um, but to me – the best chances for that Ole Miss offense to be successful are in the running back room, and that's kind of, you know, you build out from there. And I think Stetson Bennett could do that. He's a pretty smart player, right? And Ole Miss schemes a lot of guys wide open. 
if you could tell them, hey, Stetson Bennett, we're not doing this YOLO stuff here because we don't have Georgia's defense to bail us out when you decide to do this kind of thing, maybe you could rein it in some. Mississippi State's definitely a no. Missouri's absolutely a yes. They were <laughs> oof. Uh, South Carolina. Yes. Rattler's played terrible, but their protection's been garbage. Would you take Stetson Bennett over Spencer Rattler? Yes. In that offense, I don't think I can because I think I, I think I go four and eight with Stetson Bennett. I don't think he's making a, they can't run the ball. They they need somebody. He's gonna. I think if South Carolina makes a bowl, it's because they have a couple games where Rattler goes off and a couple games where he throws like four picks. Does Bennett have the go off games to beat some SEC teams in that offense? Because right now they can't run the ball on anybody, man. I, I don't think Arkansas's defense is anything special, and South Carolina's run game got shut down. So are we sticking with Rattler, Danny. Danny, break the tie. Probably does. I think Rattler has more success for them, but I think they would take Stetson Bennett. You know, intangibles, yeah. you know, better. I think he's a better leader. You got the moxie, all that stuff. I think he'd probably make better decisions too. I don't know if it would make a difference in the outcome on the field, but I'd say I'd say they'd take him. All right. Fair enough. Tennessee's a no. AM is a yes, I think. Right. Like given Either they don't like Max Johnson or they're just seeing something with Haynes King in, in, in practice that never shows up on game day. And Vanderbilt's a yes. What's what's our total? Are we, are we at 28. over half? We're at 28? 28 Power 5 teams that would trade their starting quarterback for Stetson Bennett right now. I've got it at five in the ACC, seven in the Big Ten, two in the Big 12, Six in the Pac-12 and eight in the SEC, which I guess actually we should change to seven because we we counted Georgia. Because Georgia, we can't count, right? Right. So I guess that would take us down to uh, to twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. And, and we listed fifty-four. We listed fifty-four teams, Chip. Sixty-five teams. Wait, how many? Sixty-five Power Five teams, if you include Notre Dame. And if oh. you, so the, I think the more interesting thing was in the trade, how many of those quarterbacks go to Georgia and revamp their careers? Dude, <laughs> I think Munkin's doing a great job there, man. Yeah. I really do. Like their receiver room is not what it's going to be at the end of the year, and they they've looked nice so far throwing the ball and, and creating open guys. I, I I think Todd Munkin is doing one of the best coaching jobs in the country right now. Um. All right, let's hit one more uh, before we get out of here because I liked this one, and it was uh, still on the heels of uh, Alabama, Texas, and includes the in some of the names we just mentioned. All right, this is from Ants on a Log. Hey, guys, love the pod. Y'all are absolutely hilarious in your passion and insights. Fuel my college football fandom, even in the darkest days of summer. Question, if Hudson Card had transferred instead of Casey Thompson, does Texas beat Alabama after Quinn Ewers goes down in the first quarter? I'll say no. I thought Hudson Card played pretty well, all things considered. The fact he was hurt, banged up, I don't think was a good evaluation. The way Texas wins that game is if the officials call it correctly. With that, I'm out. <laughs> I got my heart out for the radio show. I'll just drop that little one there for you guys. All right, bud. I'm going to say yes, because I like. I think Hudson Card would have beaten Alabama had he not got dinged up as well. Hudson, like his mobility is one of the best parts of his game, and he was not able to run on Alabama like you know, like I think he probably would have if he was healthier. So I'm going to say yes. I, I think Alabama does go down to Texas if Casey Thompson had won the job or had, had beaten out Hudson Card back in the day, and and, uh, and Card had transferred as opposed to Thompson. 
Mm. That whatever it was that led to a uh, card being a little hobbled, that, that certainly ended up being uh, one of the most deciding factors in the biggest game of the weekend. Uh, I see Steve in the chat says, give me a lock to bet on this weekend. Well, guess what, Steve? We got a whole daggum show where we do that. And it happens on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And that's where you can find us next. So smash the subscribe, smash the like, hit the bell for notifications. We will be back on Thursday, 11 a.m. for our week three locks. We'll get into some of these sketch games and so much more from a robust board of college football. And you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. And speaking of follows, we're all just following Chip because he is currently the ROI leader on the Cover 3 podcast this year, man. Out to a hot start. See you guys tomorrow. 11 o'clock. Be there. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.